0: Thank well, you. I'm I, listen, I would be more than glad to sing the praises of Peloton if they want to pay me some endorsement money. But until then, I'm gonna speak the truth.
1: I thought you were you gonna know? sing.
0: You don't want that.
1: <laughs> well, I'm more than happy to sing. I'm like, oh, oh where's she going with this? I'm gonna sing.
0: <laughs> you, you know, one of these days I just might. I, I'm gonna surprise. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna like break into crazy song.
1: Sure.
0: I'm not gonna tell you when. All right. I'm going to tell you is going to be loud and it's going to be terribly off key. That's all right. (laughs) So I apologize to the listening public.
2: So Jeff, I'll just give you a few of the caveats that we always give people. Okay. Um, uh, When
3: when you're on a terrible podcast.
2: Yeah, that's (laughs) right. That's the first one.
1: And anything you say can and will be held against you.
2: But not in a court of law.
0: Um, (laughs) um, We only care um, about the court of public opinion anyway. Do we? I don't (laughs) even know. I'm I'm not even sure we care about that. (laughs) I, I thought that was the right thing to say, though. Recording in progress.
2: Hey, and welcome to another episode of AD Banter. Banter, banter. This is of course the podcast where we talk with advocates and members of the disability community to educate and inspire better conversations about disability. Hey, my name is Rob Minot. and joining me today, Ryan Fleury. As usual, I'm Ryan. Uh, Steve Barkley. Allegedly. And Liz Malone.
0: R.I.P. Bob Saget.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. That's a bummer. Way to bum out the show right every <laughs> day. <laughs>
1: you know, you
0: got to start off on a low note and then it we just get better and better, you know?
2: True. Have you listened to A.T. Banter? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when's that happening? Let me know. Wake me up when that happens. Uh, anyways. See now we stepped all over Bob Saget's deck.
0: <laughs> uh, hey, he, he, wouldn't, liked he, it. he wouldn't he wouldn't mind us chuckling a little bit.
2: Uh, yeah, sure. At his ex- Well, no, we're not, it's not even at his expense. Anyways, why are we okay, anyways. Uh hey, how's everybody? I guess bummed out. No, nah, we're good.
3: That's all good. To- I, I didn't know Bob Saget.
2: Well, this is good. I at least Bob Seeger's okay. <laughs> is so <he>? far. <laughs> I think so. I, he better be hanging in there. Uh John Stamos eat healthy John Stamos oh.
0: <laughs> isn't he on a steady diet of supermodel I think he's okay
2: yeah that's true okay anyways <laughs> they're very lo-
0: they're very healthy and low in fat so I think we'll <laughs> be fine <laughs>
2: oh my oh my goodness. Goodness. okay listen um, enough of that uh, let's talk about why why we have all gathered here today
1: well before we do that has our guest left yet?
2: <laughs> has he stuck around he's still here he's still here excellent uh, <laughs> all right well speaking of that that's a great segue ryan so perhaps you could tell the listening audience uh just what the heck we're doing today and who
4: we're talking to
1: sure today we are speaking with jeff whistle who is the chief accessibility officer over at disability Inn.
4: hi everyone thank you i um, thrilled to be here i've listened to i think just about every one of the podcasts and I feel like a rock star being part of the show tonight. So, what? Glad to be here. Wow.
0: Long-time listener. First-time caller. Absolutely. Call long-time listener. Awesome.
4: Wow. No. So, like,
2: seriously, you should not make public that public knowledge because scientists <laughs> somewhere would probably <laughs> want to study your brain to see what, exactly what 268 hours of listening to us would actually do.
0: Are, are, are we creating dopamine?
2: <laughs> do- uh, I doubt Possibly. it. Possibly. Maybe. Uh, well, no. That well, listen. We're well, we're we're flattered and we're thrilled that uh, to have somebody on that uh, that's a listener. So this is great.
4: It's um. I'll talk about this a little bit later. But I was telling Ryan just before we all got together here. I'm. It, it's it's an honor to be here. But you should all be so proud of yourselves for coming up with seven years now of material and just the commitment it takes to to do the podcast every time. But, oh, my gosh, what a positive difference it makes. Um, you know, I'll talk about this a little bit later, but you're providing information for those of us who are blind, low vision. And so many times we're in different places in our acceptance of, of our disability. And if we perceive our disability as a disability or if it's a strength, And a huge part of all that I found in my life is finding information and finding a, a, an outlet and a resource to hear from others who are going through this, who have been a, ahead of us and, you know, in sight loss and so forth. So uh, I'm honored to be here because you're all making a positive difference and it's just, it's a thrill to be here. Wow. I, wow. I'm we, speechless. Thank you.
3: Well, wow, yeah, we, we don't know how to deal with flattery. <laughs> Got no, no clue
2: here. We, we just we just <laughs> never get it. Cut him a check, it. Steve. Cut him a check. <laughs> yeah, OK. <laughs> uh, no, listen, you did. That's yeah, that does mean a lot to us. So I you mean, I, I mean, certainly me and Ryan have had conversations some weeks where we're just like, who who is even listening to this? Like, are we is anybody listening to this? Um, are we are we just sort of screaming into the void? And at the end of the day, I think that for, for each one of us, uh, you know, if, if, even if we're reaching one person and making a difference in one person's, um, life, that's it, it, it's all worth it. So, and you know, early on, like when we started the podcast, one of the, one of the really frustrating things about trying to find resources is just that the, the, the sheer, the sheer number of, of different organizations that are out there that are helping people, um, it's so hard to navigate. You don't even, a lot of people don't even know where to start to look. So, you know, it's, it's certainly been a show mandate for us to really try to give, put a spotlight on uh, as many organizations that we can um, that, are, that are doing really important and, and hard work um, for the community. Every week we, when we're booking,
1: looking for guests, it's a journey of discovery every week. There's new organizations that Rob or Liz or somebody will send along the way. And we're learning every week as we go to as to what's available, what resources are out there. So it's, yeah. it's fun for us.
2: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it's, it's definitely a labor of love for sure. And, you know, some weeks more of a labor. <laughs> 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 but, but, uh, but every week, yeah, I find that that's the value that it brings to my life, too, is that I love learning and I love learning about different organizations and, and meeting people and, and meeting people in the community and, and hearing their stories. You know, I certainly personally get a lot out of it too. So
4: I think that's, that's one of the most important things. And as chief accessibility officer of, of this amazing organization called Disability In, I think, you know, I'm responsible for helping to build out a disability, a digital accessibility program. And so with Disability In, there are 325 U.S. Um, US corporations. So, like 78 of the Fortune 100 companies are members of Disability Inn. And so, that's my overarching mandate is to help to build out and build upon what Disability Inn's already accumulated in in regards to resources for digital accessibility. And that includes everything from website accessibility, mobile accessibility, um, resources for facility accessibility, all those things. But Proximity to disability, I think, is so important. And what I was talking about before, why I think you're making such a positive difference with the podcast is for, I mean, when you think about disabilities, over 70% of disabilities, they say, are invisible. And depending on where those of us with a disability are, um, we may feel that our disability is a vulnerability. And when I do presentations, I'll ask the audience, you know, by a sound of yes, because if you raise your hand, I'm not going to see you. So by a sound of yes, who likes to feel vulnerable? Nobody raises, nobody says yes, right? Because it's, it's we don't like to show our vulnerabilities. It's an uncomfortable feeling. So we tend to, human nature, we tend to hide our disabilities. So not only are disabilities majority invisible, it can be something that human nature, we try to hide. So they're invisible and they're hidden by the very folks who have the disabilities in a lot of cases. And that's a big part of my role is to bring proximity of disability because we hear the statistics. One out of four of us have some form of a disability and it's not always easy to see or experience if, um, if it's hidden and if it's invisible. So that's why the podcast is so, I think, important because You're bringing proximity of disability, and folks are able to share their lived experiences around disability. I think, too, everyone's a mentor, or everyone can be a mentor, and every one of us throughout our life is certainly a mentee, and you're helping to match people together through this, and you're giving information, and information is definitely the key um, throughout all this. I'll talk more about that in a little bit, but that's, again, just kudos to, to what you're doing.
2: Yeah, it's you know, it's interesting that you you hit on uh, this idea of, of hiding disability, um, especially in the workplace. I feel like this is really an attitude that's that's recently really beginning to shift. But I think it's been a long time coming. Um, we talked to a, a fellow not too long ago uh, by the name of Ken Brandt, and he was telling us about he, he wrote a great book. Um, But even then, like he only wrote the book at once he retired. And, you know, he was telling us stories about how, you know, he spent years and years, um, in, in his job where he, he did, he wasn't really disclosing, um, the full depth of, of his vision loss. So I, I do think that that's such an important aspect, especially when we're talking about, um, disability in the workplace to make people. Feel empowered and to feel like they don't have to uh, hide disability, Um, because that's got to be exhausting on top of you know an already you know heavy workload.
4: I used to be the poster child, I think, for the the guy covering an invisible disability. I worked for this amazing financial firm um, for 28 years, and the first 22 years of my career. I wasted a lot of mental calories trying to hide my vision loss and fit into some imaginary bell curve. One of the things I, I want to mention is I'm, I always do a visual description of myself. So I'm a, a Caucasian male in my mid 50s, uh, very thinning blonde hair. And I, I like to say that I'm um, legally blind with a degenerative eye disease called retinitis pigmentosa. And I, I'm proud to say that I'm legally blind with RP because it's really my way of showing that it, it's my strength and not that perceived weakness that I had in the back of my mind for so many years. And for me, six years ago, that all changed because I did not have proximity to anyone in my life who was blind, low vision. When I would go to my regional phone center for my, my work, there would be 4,000 of us. I didn't see anyone with a white cane um, or, or know anyone who's blind, low vision. So it was an amazing company. I love the company I worked for. It wasn't them. It was me. I, I didn't have my inner voice. And, and when I found, uh, I was introduced to a colleague who was a vice president in our Boston headquarters, Alicia. She lost her vision due to diabetic retinopathy about 20 years ago. And now I was not alone anymore. I knew someone else um, who was blind low vision. And we became friends. Alicia to this day is my mentor, one of my mentors. But after about four months, we we would share our experience with our colleagues of, hey, I met so and so and um, you know, she's she's blind, or or I met Jeff and he's got this eye disease called Pigmentosa. And as we would tell our coworkers every single time. They would either share something with me directly about themselves, how they' are impacted by a disability, or someone that they knew a spouse, partner, kids, family member friends who were impacted so they were indirectly impacted and it was like I could almost I still have enough vision to I could almost see their shoulders kind of slump when they would tell me something that they were impacted by and it's like I never told anybody about at work about this before it, it was amazing and Alicia encouraged me um, to, to start an employee resource group for our colleagues with disabilities. We started with six of us. And, we, and when I left my company in September because of a, this wonderful voluntary buyout offer, there was 5,147 active members, colleagues of this employee resource group. And in my regional phone center I mentioned where there's 4,000 of us, seven colleagues who are friends of mine now have the same RP eye disease. And okay. they too were hiding it and feeling they were alone. And it's, it's almost to the point at, the, at my old employer where it's kind of cool to have a disability. It feels so good to say that.
3: You got your own club?
4: Yeah. <laughs> and that's just in that one regional phone center. And that's just that one eye disease. And we had corduremia and other things. So that proximity to disability, it's there and helping others find their inner voice. It's what's so critically important about all this.
3: Out of that call center of, what did you say, 700?
4: 4,000.
3: Uh, 4,000, 4, 4, sorry. Uh, mm-hmm. how, how many would you say were in that call center alone who ended up joining up?
4: Um, I know when we first started in the first six months, this was four years ago, we went from six to over 200 in, in a six-month time period because we did like this pilot um, before we could launch it to the other 10 regional phone centers. Um, but I know when we would do events, um, I last count, again, before I left, it was about 700 colleagues. Now, not all of them have a disability directly. They were a lot of allies and so forth. But And we're talking you know, visual disabilities. It's amazing to me how many colleagues have kids who are on like, the autism spectrum, for instance, and how many colleagues themselves are on the autism spectrum. It's not like one of those things where you raise your hand in a team meeting just out of the blue and say, hey, everybody, I have, or my <laughs> yeah. daughter was just diagnosed with. But when we feel less vulnerable, everybody has a story to share, and that, that's what was so, so amazing about it, um, just creating that, that environment where it's safe and comfortable. It's
3: kind, of, it's kind of fascinating, too, because, you know, up until that point, there was no recognition that roughly, uh, what, about 5% of the workforce there had mm-hmm. had some form of disability and there was, nobody was talking about it.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And what, what's so amazing and so critically important to corporate American and nonprofit American everything and higher education is that when... I think, um, Steve, you may have mentioned it, it can be um, tiring to hide, a, hide something about ourselves. It's something that we feel makes us different than the bell curve of everybody else. When we waste those mental calories, we leave part of our authentic self at the front door of the office or before we come on to a Zoom meeting or whatever it is. And if we're wasting that mental energy trying to hide something, it reduces our productivity and creativity and everything. So what we found is when um, colleagues are able to find their inner voice, accept their disability, kind of learn to start embracing it, everybody has to get there at their own pace and time, but they're they're bringing more of them of their true whole self to the office, and a lot of companies today are this agile business methodology where you have different what they call Teams or squads and the optimum size, they say, is around seven or eight people on a in a squad. If someone who has hearing loss, for instance, if they're a squad member and that squad is doing something, building an audible product or service, if that person who has the hearing loss recognizes something about the process that their team that their squad's going through, but doesn't feel comfortable sharing it because they feel they're Their disability, their hearing loss is a vulnerability and and so forth. That's going to be an inferior product or service. So, when associates, any of us, when we feel empowered to share our insights, um, this strength and this diversity of thought that our disabilities give us to bring to the table, it makes things more inclusive. And that squad then produces a better product or service because it's applicable and accessible by a larger audience. And that's really the, the key to all this. It's in the corporate world, um, you know, where I spent my career and now with disability In, working with corporations. It is a business differentiator also for companies who are really inclusive and where their employees are empowered and, you know, they have their, that, that really awesome culture where it's, it's comfortable sharing and it's not, disabilities aren't a vulnerability. Disabilities are proactively sought after. That's a really cool thing.
1: And so are you finding now more than ever that larger organizations and companies are open to inclusive hiring, diverse hiring?
4: Absolutely. Ex- uh, exponentially. Uh, when you think about, and I think about this, I don't know where everybody went. You, you, you can't go anywhere without seeing signs on the doors. Help wanted. it. There are more job openings right now in, in America. Um, then there are people to fill them. And there have been a lot of companies, for instance, who have done um, neurodiverse studies and neurodiverse um, pilot programs where they would proactively hire individuals, qualified candidates who are on the spectrum and so forth. And, you know, you kind of create a culture, an accepting culture, inclusive culture, um, there may not be a lot of the, the social graces and, or the social norms and things like that with neuro, neurodiversity. Um, and it's just, again, that proximity, right? The proximity of disability. Um, so coaching team members and stuff. Um, but what companies are finding is that, oh my gosh, what a hidden talent, especially today um, for neurodiversity, for individuals to bring this. These amazing skills in different areas that were so often overlooked. Um, but yes, there the, the pandemic, the, the amount of open jobs out there and so forth, and you ask 10 people and you might get 10 different answers. But yes, in my experience, Ryan, um, corporate America is definitely realizing and recognizing now more than ever before those of us with disabilities in um, quality skills bring a diversity of thought that is making them better and their products and services better. And companies are demanding it of each other as well, which is a really great thing. Mm -hmm.
0: So Jeff, I am curious to get your opinion on that uh, from a, a little bit of a different angle. So I definitely do feel that corporations are now trying to value their current workforce and tapping into their various abilities. And plus it's once you're in the door, you sort of have you know, ADA requirements in terms of what you would have to do in terms of uh, if a disability is disclosed and um, making reasonable accommodations, et cetera. I still feel that there is so much more that needs to happen on the hiring front because I feel that the, um, the way that candidates are recruited, and sometimes the limitations of even the application process um, where y- you, know, you can't necessarily disclose things or you don't even have to disclose things. But then once you're in an actual face-to-face interview, it, it's you, know, you either can't hide if it is a visible disability. Um, and sometimes you are dealing with lower level management who may not necessarily embrace the corporate philosophy Of what you know, valuing um, productive uh, workers um, of all abilities. So I'm just curious, what what is your position on on from that from that standpoint?
4: I love the the question, Liz, and um, I I you you I could share a thousand stories. um, So hopefully we have a four hour podcast available tonight. (laughs) Um, I I like putting it in a different lens, kind of. like if we're if we are a corporation, let's say we are the four four of us are five of us are running um, a corporation, and we have websites, we have four hundred internal applications that our three hundred employees have to use. Ten years ago, five years ago, twenty years ago, accessibility, digital accessibility, was not something that was a design process like ensuring. Cybersecurity is today so our little corporation we have lots of technology that is not fully is not i'm not even gonna say fully i I never say i try never say fully or 100 because it just doesn't exist let's just say our little corporation we have these 400 applications we know a lot of them are not going to work with screen readers and things like that a lot of things we have on does not have closed captioning on and all these different things. And we need to hire, we want to hire, we're growing. And we think, okay, it's um, not only is it the right thing to do, but it is a beneficial thing for us to have a very diverse workforce. One thing I always highlight is the um, 200 employees that we have, we, we already have disability Within our two hundred employees, it's already there. So one thing that is very beneficial for organizations to do is to look at our existing workforce and evaluate our culture. Do we have a, a culture where those two hundred associates and the ones who have disabilities are they reaching out? How many accommodation requests do we have, and things like that? Because we know statistically in those two in our two hundred employees, in my example, we already have disability there, and, Generally speaking, there should be some assistive technology requests and things like that. And then look at the national averages and what other companies and, you know, do, do we have that culture where our existing employees are comfortable sharing and so forth? Then when we think, okay, we want to hire, we need to hire more people. What is our recruiting process like? And we know that you hear a lot of times from individuals with disabilities like blindness, low vision, you know, do, do we self-disclose? during the application process do we wait until we get an interview Um, there are cases many cases where individuals who self-disclosed do not get a follow-up call and things like that Um, so there's lots of things there and I don't know what the exact right answer is I know what the right answer is for me having found my inner voice I'm loud and proud with my vision loss it's part of my strength but uh, I wasn't that way asked me seven years ago and I would have we wouldn't be talking because I I wouldn't even have been here, um, you know, right in this space. So I think too, looking at that for companies recruiting it's it's to this day, I think you'll find that many companies, the software that they use for, um, online evaluation software, for instance, for, for the onboarding process. Um, It's not uncommon for that not to be accessible to screen readers. And, you know, when we hire someone, a lot of corporations tend to think, okay, we know, just like our imaginary company here, we know we have legacy programs that aren't going to be accessible. And that experience, when we hire someone who we know is, who's very upfront in their knowledge of the blind, low vision. It, it may not be the best experience. So do we take them on? Do we do this? Um, the answer is yes, we need to, we want to, it's beneficial. It may not be the best experience from the, um, uh, the, the or the associate, but every one of these is a learning experience. It's a growing opportunity. So, so the answer is yes. And I think what a, what's a lot of companies are doing too today is they're looking at, okay, in that scenario, if we have legacy software that may not work for um, screen readers right now, and a lot of companies are going through and evaluating, what can they do to fix it? Is that program software development life that's only gonna be around for a year, so they're, instead of fixing that, are there workarounds, accommodations, and some things like that? But in the meantime, what positions do we have that we can hire? and bring people in immediately today who are blind, low vision? And what roles do we have? What roles can we create where the existing technology that we have is really accessible with um, screen readers and magnification and all those things um, while we're fixing the things that we know are broken? So I don't know if that answers the question, uh, Liz, or not, but it's it's a really broad opportunity to create that culture, to take the the chances of bringing colleagues in who are blind, low vision, and um, to really just embrace it and learn together um, because together we're better in this. And it's just amazing opportunities. Um, And their blindness, low vision community, it is a unproportionately um, high ratio of individuals who are blind, low vision who are not working, and we need to change that
2: i feel like the accessibility component of of work culture really will take care of itself almost because once you have companies that are hiring people with disabilities like they've they've changed their hiring policies and they're bringing more people in things like um, using software packages that isn't accessible like those problems will quickly get fixed because within that corporation, they know that they have to, to make those accessible in order for their, their um, teams to be able to function efficiently. So automatically what's going to happen, the more people that they hire with disabilities, the more, the more of those systems will get fixed. And you only have to fix those systems once. That's the upside for, for a company. And once it is, you know, it, it, it sort of opens the floodgates. As well, when you're working next to people with disabilities, you also are learning so much. You're learning about um, different adaptations or lo- even looking at, at things. Like we know for a fact that once people begin to interact with people with disabilities, their, their, their perspective completely changes. Um, and, and there's, you know, there's a whole education component um, when you have people working together, it's almost like a, a big line of dominoes that are just going to start to fall. And some of these problems, I really feel like, are just going to get fixed within the corporate culture.
0: Well, I still think that the biggest barrier is changing those perceptions that even let you in the door. I still think that that is a huge barrier. And uh, I don't have a solution for it. Um, so I'm, <laughs> I'm not making any accusations. But it, it's it's still that perception that Oh gosh, like I, you know, they use a screen word, but oh my god, am I going to have to help this girl get to the bathroom every time she's got to go? I mean, is she, you know, it's that weird perception that, you know, that because there's just that lack of understanding. Um, but you know, people are going to have their perceptions based on their lived experiences, and I don't know what what can be done to kind of change it on a much broader level, so that um, so that we can get to that point where they can be like, wow, like, okay, screen reader works great. Oh my God. They're, they're able to be super productive, but it, you can't even get to that point. If the perception is still that this person is not an independent person. They're not, they're, they're, they're going to need so much help in this area or that here because they, they, they are sort of reflecting their own fears of what it would be like onto a potential candidate. Does that make any sense?
3: It, it does listen. And, you know, I think what we might, potentially be starting to see is, is corporate culture, uh, leading the charge here in bigger organizations, because uh, I think a lot of the attitudes that you talk about there, um, are, are probably more prevalent in, in smaller businesses where they don't have as diverse a workforce, uh, maybe don't have as many, as many people and HR, maybe, you know, grandma working from her computer desk or something. Um, I think it's really interesting to see, you know, Jeff's group uh, on their website, they advertise that they've got over 400 different corporations uh, signed up. That's, that's fantastic.
4: In, in, in corporate America, um, there, there's Title II of the ADA, right? So organ- corporations who have federal contracts and organizations who have federal funding. Um, because of that, they fall under Title II of the American Disability Act and I'm not an attorney, but I play one on this podcast, they have a contractual obligation to find suppliers who are able to meet the same accessibility requirements that they're subject to. So they can't use a product or service and that's not accessible and then say, well, it's a third party, it's not us, we're not liable, we're not responsible for it. That's not true with Title II. So for large corporations who provide services, Um, for those Title II entities, the pressure is really being placed on on corporate America to ensure that their product or service that the Title II entities are are using um, is accessible. So when it comes time for new contracts, renewing contracts, depending on what the contract is, some of these can be hundreds of millions, billions of dollars, um, in a contract negotiation. And when you know it, it used to be organizations would say, we strive to meet the, the WCAG, the, the, the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines, a globally, globally accepted standard. We strive to meet the, the guideline. And it's to the point now where corporate America is saying that's really cute, but what percent of all the URLs that my employees are gonna be using in your product or service meet those guidelines? and it's holding up contract negotiations until there's that commitment. What happens then is those suppliers who are not able to meet it at that time, they have to create, if they want the business, they have to create an accessibility roadmap and start you know, putting resources, um, uh, workers and so forth, developers, designers, QA, uh, folks to remediate their existing content so it meets those guidelines. Um, in my previous employer, one of, the, one of the things that I really loved the most was we implemented a procurement accessibility program in April of 2020. Prior to that, we just didn't have it in the contracts to ask if the product or service that our employees and our customers were going to be using, if they could use it, if they use assistive technologies, or if they were just keyboard-only users, even. And now, my former company actually has a full-time person in contract negotiations doing the accessibility and doing accessibility reviews and so forth. And through Disability In, one of the things that we're working on is um, disability inclusion is a a really big thing that Disability In is founded upon. And that is, Liz and, and Steve, what you were talking about, having employees who are able to be fully engaged, fully employed, not only have the tools and resources to perform the task of the job, nobody wants to hire someone and say, just perform the task, that's all we care about. Every employer wants their employees to perform at their peak. Part of that is asking suppliers before they buy a product or service about the accessibility capabilities. And suppliers are starting to realize that, wow, we're being asked this a a couple of times now, this is really weird, what's going on here? there's a trend happening. If we wanna get business and, and get more business, we need to incorporate that accessibility. It's not a, 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 a wonderful scenario just yet, but in the past two years, exponentially, that side of it has increased. And that's part of what, what, what we do at Disability In is to create a safe place for corporate America to share um, ideas, best practices, A lot of the corporations are competitors in business, but every one of us is a collaborator in accessibility. Um, To quote Microsoft, together we're better. And when one of us wins, when one corporation wins in accessibility, we all win because we can share those best practices and, and help to create an inclusive America, an inclusive world.
0: You know, Jeff, you brought up an interesting point, though, about the ADA uh, in, in Title II, now I, I I think under Title II, where government contracts are, are are given, that the organization also has to have a certain percentage of, of disabled employees. Is that is that under Title II?
4: Um, for for the federal funding, there is, um, and I apologize, I'm drawing a blank on the exact terminology of it, but yes, um, it's like a seven percent target um, rate to have that diverse um, associate base. So a lot of corporations then will, um, and organizations will have a self-identification in their application process and annual re, annual surveys. They will ask associates to self-identify if they have a disability or not. And one of the goals is to in, increase the hiring and the awareness of that.
0: Now, I, I did see a copy of that, Questionnaire that one organization that was getting a government contract was putting out there, and I was actually really surprised because this—I will not mention the organization—was uh, in, in the media space. I'll say mm-hmm. was really broadening the definition of disability to the point where it felt like, wow, they're just trying to meet that government threshold. Um, so I just think it was very—it's very interesting. How you know some organizations, like I believe, are on the up and up and really take this seriously and and want to be in compliance. But then you also see these other players who are sort of really stretching it to to just you know meet that quota so that they can continue to get the uh, the government funding.
4: That 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 can happen. I always say mankind can screw everything up and um... <laughs> can and do right. <laughs> Absolutely. <Frequently. laughs> So part of that, um, and I, I have to share a story too, um, just how accessibility is a, um, it's a journey, it's, um, it's a spectrum. It's net new to a lot of people, accessibility, accessibility coding and things like that. But what's interesting, there was one, I was at a conference and there was one major, if I, uh, if I mentioned the name, we'd all, th- oh yeah, I know that company. They, the, the woman who was describing their self-ID program it was, it was awesome. She was just describing how they did everything. They checked every possible thing, wanted to make sure it was inclusive for everybody, and um, they were doing it for the right reasons. So it, it wasn't that scenario that you mentioned, Liz. It was they really want their employees to feel empowered and to have the tools and resources they need. Let's face it, most accommodations, they, they there's statistics out there, most accommodations cost less than $500, and some of them don't cost anything. Um, but... This, comp- this, this woman was all dynamic and you know moving her hands and just her facial expression was happy and she's talking about all the things that they did. and then she's like and then and then we launched the self- ID program uh, on this day. And I started getting all of these pings. The one thing that they forgot to do or overlook because they were doing everything else was the actual program that they used for associates to self-identify, Nobody, che- nobody <laughs> checked it for accessibility. So individuals who were using screen and stuff were not able to self-ID on their self-ID campaign. But it was awesome that she shared that. And I guarantee no corporation in that audience ever made that same mistake. Um, it's all about sharing the best practices, taking the chances, doing these things, learning from each other. There's going to be, you know, co- there's any company you can see positives and, you know, could view it as a negative and things like that. Um, but it's awareness and it's just taking those steps to, um, to take the chance and hire folks and, and be working internally on the accessibility. It, I definitely see it happening. Um, in the six years that I've been in the space and two decades of being a screen reader user myself and, and so forth, I definitely have seen amazing changes over the past two years. We have, Amazing changes to go through over the next two years and five years. but it, the the momentum is there, which is great to see.
2: you know we've been we've been screaming on the podcast for a long time about you know, how do we get developers to like build in accessibility at the in, at the development phase? Like you know it's we need to educate, we need to educate. And really, what I'm thinking is that what really need to happen is what's happening now, which is accessibility is slowly becoming, um almost like a selling feature to a lot of developers as opposed to something that's just a bolt-on solution after the fact because more and more companies out there are are demanding it they they need their their software to be accessible for their employees so you know it only takes a few times when companies are lose going to lose out on a contract because their software isn't accessible but the guys down the street had the foresight to, to build accessibility in. So again, I feel like this is one of these, one of these problems that maybe we'll start to get some movement on just based on, on inclusive hiring
4: practices. I agree. I know, you know, a a lot of corporations too, um, on the internal side, you know, they're, they're having, um, centralized, creating centralized accommodation budgets. There, there can be a, in a large corporation, um, or any organization for that matter, there can be, you know, a self-imposed stigma. Well, if, if my business unit has to cover the cost of my accommodation, that potentially, could that take money out of our out of our team's budget for outings and things like that? And am I going to be that guy or that girl in the team who, you know, the team's not able to do something that maybe we could have if I didn't ask for the accommodation? I mean, not that that actually happens, but that is a actual perception and so forth. And sometimes it does happen. So when corporations are creating these centralized accommodation budgets, that's one really cool thing is it takes that thing away. So now it's, um, it's not up to a manager or a business unit to make, to have to, it's, the decisions out of their hands. They don't have to worry about the finances of it. Um, the other thing that I see a lot of corporations doing Um, And I don't know the actual statistic, but majority of the time, I think I'm safe to say when someone leaves a company and they do the exit review, it is not uncommon for a big component for that employee leaving was their, their current manager. So managers have an amazing opportunity to empower themselves with information on what their company offers in accommodations and where they go to. We all know, imagine that, you finally, you you need an accommodation, you need JAWS or NBDA or something to to do your job because you're just running into those barriers that are there. If you go to your manager, that manager has the ability to make or break our interaction and our livelihood to a large extent. An inclusive manager is a manager who has taken the initiative to reach out to the HR. The accommodations team and find out. Okay, when this does happen, and I have an associate who who comes to me, what do I do? Because I want that to be a great interaction. I don't want to feel vulnerable and then hide it myself and say, "Oh, you know, we'll just have to figure it out," or you know, "Let me check into that." Or to be able to walk with that associate and and just have that as a that uncomfortable experience for that associate to all of a sudden become comfortable is an amazing thing. So that's a, a huge thing that I've seen corporations doing our internal trainings on inclusive behavior, inclusive language. Um, Also, sometimes a manager can proactive, can um, create that culture. So it's, it's more comfortable for the associate to come to them and the managers can go to accommodations and HR teams too and share. I have an associate and I, I I think there may be an uh, an accommodation opportunity here or, or, or something. And just there's, there's, opportunities for the manager really to play a, an amazing role in that. Um, and the other thing that's really cool I've seen happening more often too, is it can be it can be time consuming, uncomfortable, and unnecessary to have an associate who self who gets the courage and, and self discloses and there's that okay, interactive dialogue with the HR accommodations team and there's a product that's identified, Um, That would be the the path that they want to pursue to see if it's going to help the the associate perform at their peak. Well, a lot of times that HR accommodations team has to go through procurement, and then they have to go through the supplier to get that individual license or whatever it is. It can take three weeks, six weeks, depending on the, the whole process. In the meantime, that associate who needs to answer phones or do things, is struggling and every day is just like they're dreading coming into work because they don't have the tools they need. So what a lot of, what some corporations are doing is creating almost like a, a marketplace, um, an internal website where they may have um, acquired enterprise-wide licenses for some of this technology and they get it into a, a website, internal website, um, It goes through all their security, their technology group and everything where, um, and now the associate who needs that accommodation or any associate, depending on the licenses for these things, can click on it, install it on their computer if it's a digital technology without needing admin access or their IT group to do it and so forth. And it just self-installs and they didn't have to go through accommodations and things. That really, we're finding that really makes a difference for the associate because they're not having to feel vulnerable and all these things. There are certain things that corporations can put out there associates can use without having to go through all that you know bureaucracy and so forth
2: so another another thing i kind of wanted to talk about um and this kind of ties ties to this idea of accessibility and how we've been saying for a long time everybody benefits from accessibility it doesn't matter if you're able-bodied or not and i really feel like that transfers over into uh inclusion as well um inclusive hiring practices uh, companies that are, that are building you know, safe spaces for, for uh, their employees, or they're, they're just creating a better work culture that, at the end of the day, is going to benefit every single employee at that, at that
4: corporation. Can you kind of speak to that idea a little bit? Absolutely. I, I think I could share it this way. Um, anyone who is deaf, who, who is not deaf or hard of hearing, stop using texting because texting wasn't created for all of us. It was designed for individuals who were deaf, hard of hearing to be able to communicate. Anyone who is on a sidewalk, who is a fully able-bodied, who doesn't believe that the curb cut effect is a positive thing, that everybody benefits from it, next time you're on a corner sidewalk, don't walk up the the ramp that's built there. Take 10 steps over and, and step up on the curb. I mean, that curb cut was designed for individuals who use um, devices for mobility. But all of us benefit. Kids with skateboards can ride up that. We all can walk, um, runners, delivery people. So when we solve for accessibility, there are so many cases where um, we benefit everybody. There's um, a really wonderful uh, woman who does this presentation, a super, super smart, Person who did this whole thing on um, design. And the traditional thought is we design for the 85% of the population that's going to use a product or service. And her philosophy was when we solve for that 15%, and we design for that 15%, we've designed for 100% by focusing in on that 15%, because everybody's going to benefit. Um, It's kind of like a mind shift. On, on when we think about this. And it's, I think so much is, is based upon just the awareness. I don't know that anyone intentionally creates a software program or builds a building or says, who can I exclude in my design? You know, I mean, that movies may be made about that with the, the evil characters and so forth. But I think in real life, majority of, of people um, don't build things that aren't, that are going to purposely exclude someone. And that's where that awareness comes and that's where that, you know, just understanding if we don't have um, someone with a disability in our lives or directly near us, I think, Brian, that you mentioned, um, it's not like they're a bad person or they're intentionally doing something wrong. It's just they didn't, the conversation wasn't raised to them or the awareness wasn't there. And again, that's why this podcast and podcasts like this is so powerful because it just shares that message that it does make a difference when we solve for accessibility in almost every case, everybody benefits. I'll give a really quick example, um, which I never do anything quick when I talk, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> in my former employer, um, it was, uh, you had to have a badge to, to get in, you had to go through the turnstiles, and but there was the the doors, and there would be, in my one building, there'd be two double sets of doors, and you'd walk in, and then you'd go to the turnstile, use your badge, and you'd go in. Well, one set of doors had the push button, you know, that if the It was designed for someone who had either a situational, a temporary, or a permanent mobility, you know, issue. They could hit that button and the doors would open automatically. Well, the security desk is like right there, right directly across from those doors. And the security department tracked this. 70% of, of the employees that came in every day, guess which doors they went to? The ones with the push button instead of having to pull the other door open to walk in. I mean, they able-bodied, they physically could do it. There's a five pound push-pull ratio, everything. No, no issues there. But seven out of 10 people hit that button to walk in because the door is open. Yeah, That wasn't one man's l- for them.
0: One man's luxury is another man's uh, necessity.
4: Absolutely. I could talk for hours about this. Um, one thing that we haven't talked about um, that I've experienced, not only at my at my former company, And even at my former company, I had the opportunity to work with Corporate America um, and to to, uh, partner with accessibility, employee resource groups, um, diversity inclusion teams at many companies. And one thing that is an awesome, off-the-charts side benefit of all of this, imagine if you're an employee and you have a child who has a disability. And the company that you're working for, you already like the company and so forth, but your company has this culture, either it was already there when you started or it's been increasing as you're there. And your company is is initiating these programs for autism, for blindness, low vision, deaf, hard of hearing, and they're paying attention to this. And all of a sudden, you you know, you get the emails from the employee resource groups, diversity, and inclusion, that this is happening. But then they start having these hiring programs, and they start bringing qualified candidates in who have the various disabilities. All of a sudden, as a as a father, a mother, a parent, or guardian of of, of loved one, a young one with a disability, and in the past, that individual may have been thinking, I'm going to have to financially take care of my child because they're not going to be able to do this on their own. It's just, companies just don't care. But when their own company starts doing this, you talk about loyalty and um, awesomeness on steroids. It's incredible. We have so many stories from our colleagues at my previous company who said, I loved working here. I've been here 15 years. Because of these programs, I get choked up talking about this. It makes such a positive difference when a, when, a, a level, when someone, an adult with a, with a child, all of a sudden starts seeing real possibilities, and things that they never thought weren't imaginable before. And guess what? It, their company is, is part of this adventure. Um, there's so many hidden benefits of all of this, of, of focusing in and corporations and higher ed and nonprofits being intentional about this. Every aspect of it makes a positive difference.
2: You know, it's so interesting because I feel like even within the life of this podcast, um, things have really changed. I mean, I remember talking to we we have a a local um, organization here called the Presidents Group that does um, they, they it's sort of like a a group of of industry leaders here in Vancouver who sort of try to promote the idea of inclusive hiring. And I remember talking to them pre-pandemic, probably about three years ago, and it feeling like they were doing some amazing work, but it really felt like it was an uphill battle. Today, I really do feel like we we're really seeing some, some traction uh, on a lot of this. And I think that it's it's all taking place sort of in the perfect way, which is from the top down. Because trying to build inclusive hiring from the bottom up, you know, from small businesses to to corporate, I think would be a heck of a lot harder. Because you know, everybody wants to wants to be a Microsoft. Everybody, you know, is looks. They, these are these are you know corporate leaders that are making these changes, and I think that it it will certainly trickle down. So you know that alongside of all of these silver linings that we're seeing from the pandemic, which, you know, from the the, the being more open to work from home and in that culture. And like you said, the more accepting of the idea of inclusive hiring, because they, they need the staff, the business case is a lot stronger today for, for inclusive hiring than it was three years ago. And that's unfortunate, but because, you know, you want to think that corporations are doing it. No, no it it's not well. unfortunate. The circumstances were unfortunate. It's not right. unfortunate. <laughs> but, I, but I guess what I mean is that you would like to think that, that everybody's doing things for the right reasons. But at the end of the day, there has to be a business case for all of these things happening as well.
4: I'd like to share, too. Um, and this is from my personal journey. So um, I still have vision to lose. So when I share this, it's, it's based off of being legally blind, giving up driving 18 years ago, all those things to where I am now. And I still have more vision to lose. So as I sit here and we're talking today, I believe this with every fiber of my being. As I lose more vision, my goal is to continue this same thing what I'm going to share. And that is, I think we, it, a lot of us with disabilities have internally opportunities as well using myself as a case study, I hit it, my vision loss. I didn't have my inner voice. I didn't have a mentor. A mentor changes lives. Good managers like to be mentors. Um, Mm -hmm. We all have the ability to be a mentor because we have experiences and things that are farther advanced or longer. We've had something longer than someone who is just encountering their disability or just diagnosed with something or whatever the case might be. So we all have opportunities to be mentors, but we all need mentors to help us that are farther along or advanced in different skill sets and so forth. All of us are are lifelong mentees. We all have the ability to to continue to learn from each other. Um, I didn't realize that until six years ago when I met one of my mentors, Alicia, my first mentor. I was always positive, but that was just life enhancing um, to have that. The other thing that I, I love sharing that I learned is, and I was, this is probably one of my biggest life lessons. The human brain does not like gaps of information. So with disabilities, especially degenerative disabilities, there's a lot of unknowns, right? So a lot of gaps of information. I was I knew that. Well, I didn't know that. I just knew I didn't have information. So I did not reach out to the disability community. Once I realized this and started finding my inner voice, I realized there's things that I, a lot of things I don't know. So I started reaching out to the blindness, low vision community. Gradually, I started getting information and it started wiping out some of that fear and anxiety that fills in those gaps. And Little by little, I started being more and more empowered internally and finding my inner voice. That inf- that information is critically important. And then the final thing that I'll share for me, when I started using the white cane for the first time about three years ago, and granted, I bought a white cane five years ago at a conference. It was on sale, and I can't pass up a bargain, and a, a colleague I was with um, was like just buy a cane, just start using the cane. So I bought it, and it sat in my closet for a year and a half. And then I finally got it out and put it in my computer case. And I'd be brave enough to let a little tip of it stick out, just in case someone would see it. Maybe they'd start a conversation. Um, but the first time that I, it was one of the collapsible, you know, cane. First time I opened it and it made that sound. That was the most vulnerable I ever felt in my life, and that sound was the sound of vulnerability for me. I used it once at a conference and put it away. Nothing bad happened. Like I thought all these people were going to be staring at me and stuff. That didn't happen. I just, it was at one time that I tried it. And then gradually I started using it a little bit more. And today that sound when that cane opens is the sound of independence. It's the sound of strength. It's the sound of Jeff having gotten over Jeff, <laughs> um, over myself. And because I kept getting more and more information, I kept building my network of colleagues and individuals who were blind, low vision, and getting that information, that fear and anxieties, you know, get squeezed out. And that was just my journey. So today, I am a proud white cane user. And the one thing I'll share, I wish someone would have shared this with me. Vision loss is a spectrum. There's definitely those who you know we. It's everything from total blindness to situational blindness and so forth. It's a, it's a spectrum like anything. You don't have to be totally blind to use a white cane. My shins wished that I would have known that four years ago because I would have had a lot less bruises on my shins and so forth and bumped into a lot less stuff.
3: You're but, hearing this pinball. <laughs>
4: <laughs> but all all this to be said that's why your podcast and podcasts like this are so important because when an individual is starting to reach out to get information, to find their inner voice and to start bringing diversity of thought and enjoyment and all the wonderful things that go along with that. If they listen to your podcast and they pick up a couple of things, you've made a positive difference.
2: Love it. Well, thank you, sir. And Jeff, my friend, I totally see what you mean. We could be on this call for about four hours because I feel like we haven't even <laughs> we haven't even it's not even the tip of the iceberg. So we're gonna have to I'm afraid have you back on at some point because uh, I'd love to continue the conversation.
1: I think what we're gonna do is we're gonna have a part two. We're gonna bring Jeff back on, but also his manager. There
3: you I, go. It'd be great to great to get one of the founders of your of your organization. To, um, the, I mean. Uh, the look at looking at the corporate list of yeah. who your organization is working with is truly astounding you've got some really big names there i would be fascinated to hear how all that got started
4: absolutely there's there's a lot of corporations out there doing a lot of wonderful work it doesn't always get shown there's there's so much there's so much work that's needed to enhance the accessibility of their products and services but the one thing that is really, I, I guess the way I would describe it is this. It takes a big shovel, and that big shovel is getting bigger because the awareness and the, the benefit of doing this is, is getting more prevalent. So corporations are starting to use a bigger shovel, and that's, that's, that's good for all of us. It's going to take time, but it's, it's there. Just, and I would love to come back with um, colleagues who helped me to find my inner voice and um, and disability in. This is an awesome opportunity. I'm grateful for the opportunity to to learn and share with y'all. All All right. Yeah, I'll bring the shovel.
2: (laughs) 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 Well, listen, before we let you go, uh, where can people find you? Where can people find the organization? If there's anything at all that we can help plug, plug away, sir.
4: The organization is called disabilityin.org. And you can email me directly at jeff j-e-f-f at disabilityin.org excellent well
2: listen we once again we thank you so much for taking some time and talking with us and hey listen thanks for listening to us for However many Six years. Six years. We're starting Apologize. seven in May. <laughs> Apologize for that Christmas episode.
0: There you go, Ryan. You got your <laughs> right. one listener.
2: Absolutely.
1: Thank Yay. you, Jeff. You just made
0: his Christmas wish come true. That's right. We <laughs> have a
1: listener. It's a Christmas, Christmas miracle.
3: <laughs> well, you all make you know, so like the rock. Star. It's just I'm you on and one chick in Russia. I don't I don't know where she came well, from. Oh, that's
1: true too. <laughs> Hi, Sp- Hi, Hi spetlana. 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 spetlana shout out <laughs>
4: <laughs> I mean, you all make me laugh. I appreciate that. <laughs> La- laughter is good.
2: Okay, Jeff, now we will let you go uh, and get on with your evening. Thanks again. And yeah, we'll be in touch.
4: That sounds great. Thanks y'all. Thanks, Take Jeff. Care. Thanks, Jeff. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. There uh, 20, go. See, I
2: told you 2022 is shaping up. I hope so. <laughs> I
1: hope so. You know, with all the books we're we're hearing about ableism and language and diversity and, you know, Jeff talking to these different organizations and the awareness – becoming more of a conversation um there looks like there is some light at the end of the tunnel so look, I think there, I just, think just
0: look how diverse this show is now in 2022
1: i know <laughs> yeah really
0: i am like two mints in one.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, was, you, yeah.
3: you also made our average way better looking too
1: <laughs> that is true <laughs> although i can't really say that's true because i have no idea
3: trust me on this
1: Well, I want some alt text.
3: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, I I think you'll have to bring that up with the HR department.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We have one of those? (laughs) We might have to.
2: (laughs) Liz, we'll talk later. (laughs) (laughs) You see the tagline now AT banter, now with 100% more hair. <laughs> oh dear no that was that was uh that was amazing um really unexpected I, I did not i did not know that uh jeff was a listener so uh even bonus so and it's nice it's nice to hear that uh you know we're, we're, we're making some differences out there in the big old world
3: yeah did did you actually look at the the, the listed? Of- the it, corporations that are working with those guys it's amazing
2: yeah i mean we're talking we're talking like fortune huge whatever yeah huge Crazy. fortune 100 fortune 500 like whatever like these are big companies like microsoft um you know and what's interesting too is that there are even companies on there that i don't know like you you hear things about their work culture in general that maybe is not so good uh i won't i won't point out any names but um but yet they are still like you know getting high marks in terms of uh inclusive uh, inclusive hiring practices so it's yeah,
3: so, uh, so so you get hired and then you have a miserable experience. Is that how it works?
2: I guess so. <laughs> yeah. That probably happens more than. once. or, we think. or the, who knows? Maybe maybe they're on the road to rehabilitation. Maybe yeah. that's yeah. that's why, right? Is like that, we're uh, we're
0: gonna ride your ass just as hard as everybody else is. We're just gonna make sure you have a screen reader to go. Well, you know, I,
3: mean, you know, I, I think I think back to our own experience. So you know, we we were previously with a with a company called Aroga. and uh, Ryan. When when you joined Aroga, how excited. That's the, what was the software?
1: Well, you had to go in and basically make the database all hotkeyed And so I couldn't actually navigate, enter customer information, do quotes, orders.
3: Yeah. The, the owners, the owners of that company wouldn't spend any money to, uh, to, to, to buy accessible software.
1: So uh, I had to write it. and he did a great job and we still use it occasionally to this day
3: (laughs) yeah just to look up really 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 old customers and you know who you are
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah Uh, come a long way yeah no it's i feel much i don't know i feel really optimistic after talking to jeff i have to say excellent so And I know I'm the optimist of the bunch. You are. So maybe that's not unusual.
1: Well, we'll see what next week brings.
2: Yeah, I don't know what does next. I'll have to look at the the schedule. (laughs) (laughs) See what you've lined up after. I can tell you, but I'm not going to tell you. Oh, I do. I know. Yes, you do know. know. It's it's going to be the all ladies show. Ladies night.
1: Maybe that's what we should do. Maybe the guy should just step away and let the ladies go. We'll just have yeah. an all-female episode. Sure. Huh. I'm down.
3: Unless you want to bring some girls to the, uh, to the podcast.
0: We'll all come in our PJs and bring our pillows, right?
3: Is that what you do? Is that really what you do? <laughs> That's,
0: what else do you think we do?
3: That's what we assume you do. But That's we don't all really
0: we know. do. Sometimes we paint some nails and toenails, but mostly it's pillow fighting.
3: There's
2: wine too, right?
0: There's always wine. Okay. There's always wine.
2: Uh, it could be interesting. It this could is, be a
1: whole different, we'll whole different direction. We'll,
2: we'll workshop this Yeah, idea. we'll figure it out by Friday. We'll, we'll talk off <laughs> the, the, the week following, we
3: find out we've been usurped. Yeah, that's
1: right. <laughs> hey, <laughs> our <laughs> numbers just doubled. not our doubled. podcast anymore. Right. <laughs> just think, <laughs> if our numbers doubled, we know what we're doing
2: wrong. <laughs> What's H-T my Venture. new title?
3: Historical producer? What, what? <laughs>
2: A.T. banter now with 300% less dead
1: weight. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. All right. We'll okay, talk. Later. Let's get
3: it.
2: Yeah. Let's get out of here, though, boys uh, and girl.
3: Oh, hang on. Hang on. From the news today. Daily warning. This is important. Our listeners should have this. Don't drink urine.
2: Ooh. Ew. Okay. Really?
3: That is yeah, a good warning, but... Uh, the the, anti, the anti-vaxxers, the there's some nutty anti-vaxxer out there now who is promoting urine as the way to cure COVID.
2: Well, mm-hmm. I feel like that's probably safer than that ivermectin stuff that they were, <laughs> and it's probably easier to obtain.
3: <laughs> probably.
2: So it's, so it's
0: drinking urine's okay if you live in, like, water world, right? But that's about it.
2: Oh, good reference. Good 90s movie reference, Liz.
0: Oh, I my know. God, I'm showing my age.
2: Okay, we oh, are right. yes, let's go. go. Let's go get out of here because I know Ryan has a guitar lesson. All right. Uh oh shoot, I forgot to, Okay. All right. <laughs> s- sorry. <laughs> hey, start up. <laughs> shut up. Shut there, goes. Go.
1: there he goes. Uh, He's going. Good. No, I'm
3: He's good. going. He's going. No. Nope.
1: Who's got your belly? Who's, Who's got, got your got- belly? Diddle <laughs> diddle.
2: Oh, God, that might have to go at the front of the episode. All right.
0: <laughs> I, saw,
3: I saw a bumper sticker the other day that said, Tell your cat I said, pss, 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 pss. <laughs> uh, Okay, let's try this. That get doesn't get him, right. him going nothing. <laughs>
1: Liz, where can people find us?
0: We can find us on the web at atbanter.com.
2: Excellent. Uh, they, they, (laughs) oh, wait, they can also drop us an email if they so desire at cowbell at, uh, atventor.com.
1: And if they have a comment, topic, or suggestion for any one of us, they can give us a call toll free at 1-844-996-4282.
3: Also known as the loneliest number in the world. <laughs> uh, and if they want to reach out somewhere where there's actually people, they can do it on places like Facebook and Twitter where we actually have some sort of presence. But don't go to Instagram because we gave that up.
2: Please phone in and tell Ryan who's got your belly.
1: Who's got your belly? Who's
2: got your belly right? Diddle, dee dee
1: Who's got your uh, belly, Rob? Who's got yeah. your belly?
2: <laughs> well, I wish someone had my belly. <laughs> someone other than me. <laughs> well, I... You got get
1: the COVID belly, do you?
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. it's true. It's a thing.
1: Struggle
0: it's the COVID-19. COVID-19. That's,
2: That's right. right. There's a lot of dill pickle chips in there.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right. That is going to about do it for us this week. Of course, big thanks. Who's got your belly? <laughs> All right, that is shut up. You're the one that has to go.
1: I know, you so my, hurry the well, fuck up. Oh well, stop laughing.
2: Who's a
3: good host? Who's your good host, drop? <laughs> You're a good host. Come on, you can do it.
2: Uh, no, he can't. <laughs> don't don't make me just clip last week's. <laughs> So I'll do it. Uh, Hey, that... Oops. Fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Liz, you're the new host
1: of AT Banter.
0: (laughs) Uh, Hey, welcome to another episode of AT Banter.
2: Banter Banter. (laughs) Copyright, copyright. (laughs) Trademark. (laughs) I'm suing. Uh, All right, here we go. That's going to do it for us this week. Big thanks for everybody listening in. And we will see everybody